to another edition of the Unicorns Podcast. This is a podcast series featuring business leaders, motivators, innovators, and general go-getters. Well, today's featured guest on the Unicorns is Theo Chambers, CEO and co-founder of Australia's largest independent mortgage broking firm, Shaw Financial. Founded in 2013, Shaw is celebrating its 10th anniversary this year, with Theo having built the business alongside co-founder Alex Nokar into the thriving business it is today. Shaw Financial has weathered the ups and downs of the housing market over the past decade, from the 2013-14 market boom through to the Royal Commission into banking in the late 2010s, and of course, the more recent pandemic-driven growth, and now unease in the market due to rising interest rates. The multi-award winning business now does over $2 billion in settlements every year, and over the lifetime of the company has lodged $24 billion in applications. It's a very opportune time to catch up with Theo Chambers. Theo, welcome to the program. Justin, thank you very much for having me. That was a uh, fantastic wrap and summary, you could say. <laughs> <laughs> so, Shaw's been going now for 10 years. You've obviously seen a lot in that time. You've done a lot. I'm keen to know how you all got started with Shaw Financial. So, maybe let's wind the clock back 10 years and tell our listeners how you began the journey of Shaw Financial. A lot has definitely happened in those 10 years. Actually, the journey started longer than 10 years ago because I, I was in broking probably about 13 years ago. And I was at Commonwealth Bank about uh, for three years prior to that. So the lending journey, you could say, started about 15, 16 years ago. Mm -hmm. And a lot in lending has changed in 15, 16 years. I sort of had the first taste of it in the GFC, which um, we saw similar th things going on, on now, similar things um, governments were doing to try and manipulate or control the economic environment. Mm -hmm. But back to the, 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 the start of the journey, I, I guess well, when I was at Commonwealth Bank for my first property through a broker, even though I was working at the bank as a lender. So <laughs> I, I thought that was a little bit strange. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I thought, I thought this, this, is, this is odd. I work for the bank as a lending specialist and I found a better deal and a, a higher loan amount um, yeah. through a mortgage broker. Maybe I'm on the wrong side of the fence here. So yeah. back then, I, just, I decided the guy who um, did my home loan offered me a job. Um, I procrastinated about it for about six months. I was one of those guys at the banks that would think brokers were rubbish and I would talk, mm. talk poorly of mortgage brokers because that's how um, you're led to believe that they are at the bank. And then six months later, like I said, became a mortgage broker. That's why I met my business partner, Alex Knocker, at our former employer. We were working in a real estate business, focusing on you know generating leads and uh, opportunities from real estate yep. agents yep. And, and property managers. We saw an opportunity in that space. We saw we. We saw that you know no one was really servicing real estate agents uh, and real estate businesses in a in a great way, in a leading way, a market leading sort of uh, innovative strategy where you integrate the services in in a, in a way that complements both parties. You know, it complements yep. what the real estate agent does, what the property man manager does. It helps the buyer, the vendor, the the tenant, or the landlord. Um, all every side of the, the real estate business is interacting with someone uh, you know that, that has some intentions around property 
Um, and if we have services that complement those interactions, um, it's a win-win for everyone, right? So exactly, we, yeah. We we created a winning formula that worked back then at our former employer, um, and then we replicated that form that uh, formula and decided uh, decided to offer it to everyone in Australia, every real estate agent down the east coast, um, <laughs> any real estate agent that wants to to work with our services, um, and that's how. Shaw Financial was born. What, what was it like getting that first customer? We thought, yes, we're away. So our first customer being our first, because uh, we've got two customers. Actually, we've got three. We've got um, we've got real estate agents as, as a customer. We have uh, clients borrowing money as a customer. Um, and then we've also got, uh, in, in my eyes, our, our, our brokers are customers. Um, we mm. want to make sure our brokers are also happy. But first cust- first contract we got was the Richardson and Wrench Network, um, the yeah. RW of- offices. There were about 100 offices at the time. Um, that was the first sort of opportunity that we landed in our first year where it you know um, gave us some momentum and some uh, agents to work with. Um, it took six months before we got even one single referral from that network. So we were going out to- Oh, that's a, that's a long time when you're a sort of a, a startup business trying to <laughs> trying to pay the bills and hopefully get some revenue in the door. Waiting six months, is uh, that must have been a slog. A hundred percent. It was very stressful. We were in a service office at the time mm-hmm. um, and those service officers, would, they, they charge you an arm and a leg for everything. Um, they were been charging per phone call. I think we were doing like 100 or 200 phone calls a day and it was like 50 cents a phone call or something ridiculous. Um, so the money was flying out the door and there was no revenue coming in. Yes. Uh, six months in, we did start to scratch our heads and, and question, did we make the right decision? Definitely. Mm. But to your question, you know, we finally got a referral from the network and then, you know, not long after we, we stayed sort of uh, focused and, and, and consistent and, and persistent, I should say. And, not long after, in our first sort of financial year, which call it the first 18 months of the business, we managed to win Best New Brokerage. We got great volume in, in the door. We did $200 million in, in settlements and it, it the story came good in the end, you could say. <laughs> so when you began, Theo, was it, just, was it just the two of you, you and Alex? Literally like, you know, sharing a desk or something. So we were in a little service office in, in Crow's Nest that was literally like nine square meters. Um, <laughs> it's like a jail cell. Yeah, we had both <laughs> our desks against the wall in there. It was almost annoying when one person was on the phone, the other person could could barely hear themselves think. We then did hire uh, three brokers within that first six months to, to make sure we service that real estate group to, you know, the... the um, best of our ability, of course. They were in another little square box with nine square meters of three desks jammed together. Um, we moved to a nice office, well, I wouldn't say nice, but better. Um, better, yeah. In probably our 10th month, which that's when we started hiring a lot more. Um, that's when we hired sort of support staff, brokers, uh, and we started actually building a business at that point. And so from, from those very early steps to where you are now, can you give us an idea of the size and scale of the shore operation? Great question. I do actually know these um, figures because it was our 10th anniversary re- recently. We hosted an event um, where we reflected and looked back at where we were and wh- where we are now. Um, so like I said, we did $200 million in our first year. That $200 million, uh, 
which the industry you know did some write-ups about. We won best new brokerage. It was a huge achievement, um, and yeah, you know, we, we we went on winning uh, awards from that point onwards. Um, that uh, volume of two hundred million in our first year is now what we do uh, on average per month in loan uh, fundings. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've ten times our business in ten years. Um, we're now doing over two billion a year in in loan settlements. Uh, we've we've lodged twenty four billion in applications over the ten years to get there as well. Um, that's just clients that we get approved that don't don't find property and we have to get them reapproved and whatnot. We've got over fifty four thousand clients in our um, in our database. So fifty four thousand clients we've given uh, finance advice to, uh, and we've got now two thousand just under two thousand six hundred real estate partners. It's an amazing operation that you're um, you're running there. Have you have you sort of sat back and thought about what it is that that you and your co-founder have have now created from humble beginnings? Yeah, a hundred percent, and that's that's why we did this uh, the the ten year event recently to reflect and appreciate um, how far we've come. Because I was saying to to um, some colleagues at that event that a lot of people, um, a lot of business owners, I should say, you know, you you don't you sometimes you're. If, especially if you've got that perfectionist type uh, attitude, I, I wouldn't say I'm a perfectionist. I'd rather get the job done and, and move forward rather than procrastinate over over years and not get something done. Um, but um, I think a lot of business owners can be uh, sometimes uh, a perfectionist, which actually creates procrastination, and mm-hmm. um, you, yep. you you don't. Um, you don't stop and appreciate actually how far you've come and you don't actually appreciate, hang on, this is actually okay, this works, this is going well. And, you know, that um, this 10-year anniversary was was exactly that. We get caught up fix, uh, focusing on fixing the holes in the business, making our processes better, um, trying to constantly grow and improve and be better. But sometimes you've got to stop and smell the roses and realize, hang on, this is um this is fantastic and hence you know when we reflected on those numbers and reflected on those achievements and reflected on the on the culture and the morale and the team most importantly everybody here is really happy and fulfilled and everybody is is succeeding in the team themselves right so yeah yeah I, I guess only recently did we really stop and appreciate that what are the services Theo that Shaw offers? In the market, predominantly residential mortgages. So any type of home loan. You know, uh, if you're a first okay. home buyer, yep. if you're an investor, if you're a um, upsizer, downsizer, bridging, whatever it may be, just any type of uh, lending requirements. We do a lot of commercial lending now too. Um, developers, uh, business owners, business loans. So sometimes not always secured against property, um, and also. To the uh, bread and butter, car finance, asset finance, equipment finance, all those type mm-hmm. of um, lending products, but predominantly residential mortgages because that's just uh, what's the most common term of funding you could say. Yes. Um, we have a financial planning team as well now. Uh, oh, actually, we've had one for, for years. Um, we've got about four planners in that team. Um, we, we offer life insurance, income protection, and uh, various in, insurance products, plus obviously wealth creation and, and superannuation advice. Um, and yeah, we're, we're looking to digitize the process to um, have more and more people come in online and get sort of answers or, or um, questions to certain uh, problems solved with online automation. Um, yes. 
uh, we, we're all about educating. Um, education's key. We find that, you know, gone are the days where you can sell your services just on um, a, a cheap rate or, or cheap cheap offer. Um, yeah. We we try and you know market our services as being a value add to um, giving advice. So all our brokers are really experts in the trade. You could say um, the leading lending experts is what we we call them. Um, they really do give holistic advice to clients on how to create wealth through property. They go above and beyond what they should do in their role and, you know, plant seeds to have conversations with their accountants. Um, you know, they they make them question the next decision to make sure they're entirely uh, across what they should be doing, especially if they're buying a second property and potentially looking mm. at having one property as an investment and one property as, as an unoccupied property. We see a lot of errors done uh, in structuring these decisions and transactions um, and you can't fix them after the fact is the problem. So uh, we make sure it's that a, we get- it's a good, Yeah, it's a good point because often people might say, you know what, it's time for an investment property and they'll just go out and buy something without giving it that extra thought or consulting with a financial expert for, you know, for tax reasons, for, for income flow, for wealth accumulation, and it, and it ends up being a bit of a mess. Yeah, I think it's because people don't think they need to consult their accountant at the point of buying the property, right? <laughs> Not No offense to all the accountants out there, but accountants can be a little bit more reactive than proactive, right? Uh, the mm. typical accountant isn't a extrovert character that is, um, you know, prospecting and calling their clients and, um, uh, encouraging them to buy investment properties and offering structures to do so. It, normally, it's the other way around. The client is going to the accountant at the end of the financial year to do their tax return and say, hey, I bought a property this year. Um, this loan's now investment and this is how I did it. And the accountant said, oh, well, you should have maybe done it this way. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Did you think about calling me at the time? Yeah. Yeah. When you when you look at um, home loans, there there are a lot of lenders on the market, banks, non banks, mutuals, credit unions, neo banks. Who who do you have on your panel of lenders through Shore? So that's another thing that's definitely changed over the years. I think when we started, we had about twenty five lenders on our panel ten years ago. Now we've got over seventy five lenders in our panel, and that doesn't even include all the um, private lenders and uh, sort of commercial funders we use for developers and in that private space. There's over 100 in that field alone. It used to be, I'd say five years ago, uh, about 60 to 70% um, of all the loans uh, funded were done through the major banks. Now it's probably dropped down to 40 to 50. Really? That's interesting. Yeah. So the, there's there's a there's a little shift away from from the traditional big four. Yeah. Well, well ironically though, the big four still own some of these second tier lenders. <laughs> so yeah. Okay. Very good. Bankwest, yeah. for example, we do a lot of work with, and they're owned by CBA. St George, we do a lot of work with, they're owned by Westpac. Um, but ING, Macquarie, they're they're really starting to shine as banks. Um, Liberty, Latrobe, and all those sort of uh, second tier lenders. They're great for people that have um, niche, niche situations, you could say. Mm. Um, yep. Someone who hasn't done their tax returns, but they, they're self-employed and traditionally you need your tax Lumpy returns. Lumpy income. Yeah, yep. and you need tax returns Traders. to verify yep. Um, yep. self-employed income. Um, so those banks offer what we call uh, low-doc loans where they'll take an accountant's letter signed uh, to verify your income, just an accountant's letter um, saying 
what your income is, which is quite unique. Um, mm. The they also fo- focus at assisting um, people that might not have the best credit score. Um, and some people don't even realize they have a bad credit score. Some people aren't even um, across what is what uh, impacts their credit score. Um, that's another thing that's changed over the years. It's come a long way that the, the credit score reporting and what you actually um, what you can actually do to make sure that your credit score is is in, in good shape. Um, for example people don't realize every single bill that you have, every um, credit provider, everything that you're you're uh, essentially owing money to, um, it does go on your credit rating. And every day that you're late, it impacts your credit score. Um, yeah. So yeah. little things like having direct debit set up for all those bills is the best way to ensure you have a good credit score. So what about the percentage of the Australian mortgage belt who are using brokers now, Theo? Where are we up to? Because I, I know before it was you just probably when you got got started, you just ring ring the bank manager or you make an appointment and pop in. Now that's changed. So how many are using brokers? That's another great question and something that's also changed a lot over the years. So back when I worked at ComBank, so going back, let's say 13, 14 years ago, there was only about 15 to 20% of all loans funded were done through brokers. And when I joined and became a mortgage broker 13 years ago, you did have to actually explain your role to consumers. Um, we had to explain that uh, our fees are, are paid by the bank and they're not added to the loan in any way, shape or form. Um, there was a lack of trust back then, um, but brokers didn't have a, a good name and it, we had to really try and establish trust with people to um, make them understand that we're, we're a free service here to help you and our job is just to get you the best outcome. Um, nowadays, things are completely different. Nowadays, it's gone from 15, 20% of loans funded done through brokers to uh, over 70%. I think it's 72 now around that level. What, why, do you think that, why do you think that is? Because consumers prefer choice. You, you, if you walk into a bank, you only get that bank's products. You only get yes. that bank's lending policy. Um, you only get to get one answer, yes or no, really, for what you want to achieve. When you speak to a, a, a broker, like I just said, we've got over 75 lenders in our panel. The choice is just so vast in terms of options. You know, it, That's why sometimes it can be a, a, a long process to figure out the best bank suitable for someone's unique situation because we sometimes have to speak to 75 different lenders um, and we've got to pull 75 different sort of lending uh, policies and 75 different um, servicing calculators and, and figure out 75 different answers. And we go back to the uh, consumer and say, all right, well, these are the top 10 answers for you. So it's a, a, an abundance of information, but it's um, – clearly uh, what the consumer wants because they get the best outcome. Um, Mm. Now also trust is established. Um, uh, Now consumers go straight to brokers um, rather than going to a bank and a broker and not being too sure about the broker. Now we find that it's becoming less and less common for for, uh, clients to think that they um, don't need a broker or or that uh, less common for us to have have to – explain what we do. Everyone knows what we do now. Um, we don't really need to explain our fee structure either. We don't need to exp- uh, you know, uh, defend ourselves saying that we're actually working for them, not the bank really. Um, mm. we're, we're, we're in the client's corner trying to make sure the bank does the best thing for the client. And you mentioned their choice. How have consumer 
patterns when it comes to the ways that they interact with brokers? How have they changed over the years? Because I can remember brokers coming to my dinner table after hours on a on a school night, you know, sifting through reams of paperwork for hours and hours and hours on end, and you just want the <laughs> you just want the meeting to finish. Mm-hmm. I I imagine now that technology plays, and you know, like things like Zoom and um, you know your laptop um, technology has made things a lot easier for the consumer, Theo. 100%. Another great question. To your exact point, 10 years ago, I would be on the road meeting clients face-to-face. People wanted to actually meet even just for the first conversation when you didn't even have any of their information or or, or documentation. So Mm. you were going into these meetings blind not being able to actually even present or, or prepare anything for them, you know. So you'd go meet someone just to have a chin wag, essentially, collect their information, go back to the office, um, you know, then go do the research and then go back to meet them again with, um, you know, the, the information um, and their options to present. Now, wow, things have changed a lot. And COVID really did um, uh, help change things, I, I think, for the better um, in the sense that, uh Firstly, everything has gone online in terms of documentation. Mm. So yes. we used yep. to still rely on, um, you know, ANZ up until COVID, for example, their application form needed wet signatures and required that the broker actually saw original um, copies of, of supporting doc- documents. So like original yes. copies of yep. ID, original copies of, of um, pay slips and whatnot, when most employers don't even issue physical paper pay slips, right? They, they, they don't even exist. They're all online. Um, <laughs> That's right. So, I, haven't seen, I haven't seen one in 100 years. Exactly. So um, some of these uh, processes by the bank were a little bit archaic um, and now they've, they've sort of scrapped it. They've gone online. We can do DocuSign and e-signatures for applications and mortgage documents, which was a huge change. So um, it's got a lot faster. Interacting with consumers has completely changed we now hop on um, Zoom meetings for, for that quick initial discussion. We collect information electronically straight um, into our client portal. So we send people a text message, a little phone app pops up, and um, they can put their information, which feeds straight into our system that will even uh, sort of spit out various answers on their borrowing options instantaneously. Mm. So a huge difference in, in efficiency and huge difference in end-to-end sort of um, um, process. Um, and we find actually back on the face-to-face thing, we find that consumers these days in terms of um, habits to your to your question, consumers actually do not want to meet us face-to-face. I, I traditionally had a, a view that, you know, we want to get in front of clients because it's the best way to build rapport. Um, yes. You know, yes. we, we want to uh, have face-to-face relationships so people know that we care about that relationship. Um, but these days, it's like an inconvenience to get in front mm. of someone. If, if, mm. we, if we say, can you come in or, or when are you available for us to pop over, you hear this like, ugh. The sigh. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like, can it's, we do a Zoom? Come yeah, on. do we need to? Like I'm at work and, you know. And, yeah, it's too hard. So Let's just log on for 15 minutes. and I think it's a sign of the times how the world has become so much more fast-paced as well, you know. Um, yeah. I think – People don't have 45 minutes, an hour to um, have a chin wag and start the small talk and then go into options at the dinner table at home, you know. Um, people want to quickly just do a 15-minute Zoom and if they can fill out a form on their iPhone sitting on the couch later that night, 
fantastic. It's all about efficiency. And we're making sure we're on the, the forefront of those technological changes and that technological disruption, you could say. Um, yes. not, not every broker is like that. Not The industry is, is changing vastly. Um, you know, the average age of a mortgage broker in New South Wales is 54 years old. And uh, not that I'm discriminating on age, but a lot of 54-year-olds don't necessarily want to embrace technological change because yeah. they don't see a, a, a long-term plan for their business anymore. They're, they're looking yeah. at retirement sh- shortly. Yeah. What about open banking, Theo? Has that made things easier for your brokers where um, through the through the APIs you can just scrape the relevant data from a, from an applicant's bank accounts? So there's a bit of a miscommunication and um, misconception about this open banking. It, ha- it hasn't actually been released, um, but banks are pushing back on it because they don't want us to have that information. So what I mean by that is that if brokers had live access to clients' information where we can see what the bank's doing and see what rates they're paying every day, uh, we're going to be more likely um, negotiating and reviewing their rates and making sure the banks are uh, acting more competitively, and they don't want they don't want to do that. They they like keeping us in the dark. I wonder why? Yeah, exactly. Yes. Um, and it's not like it's a um, uh, indefinite access. So the the process that they're um, discussing with open banking is that clients can give us access to all their banking for ninety days. So when we do our annual reviews, we call them our sleep soundly promises, where we look at people's um, our clients. Um, uh, lending facilities and we just review them to make them make sure they're on the most competitive um, interest rates, we can just send them a link for open banking um, access where they agree and give us consent and then all of a sudden we've got full visibility of all their accounts, all their rates, exactly what the bank's doing to them um, for 90 days. But at this stage, the banks don't want to do it. Um, I think it's coming, but they're pushing back for obvious reasons. Well, let's talk about the state of the housing market at the moment. There's been a lot of nervousness um, with um, inflation increasing, multiple interest rate rises. I think we've had, um, what is it, nine, nine in a row? Um, yeah, with potential, potentially more, more to come. So in terms of what your brokers are telling you, what you're seeing within your business and observation of the market, paint us a picture Theo of um, of the landscape as it exists right now. So yeah, to your point, firstly, nine consecutive increases. Well, we had a break in January, but nine nine consecutive, you know, back to back meetings with the RBA led to uh, a cash rate moving from 0.1 percent to 3.35 percent in those ten months, um, which is the most aggressive increases the cash rate has moved on record, um, more than thirty years. Um, so mm. very significant increases. That is though because we had ridiculously low interest rates um, during uh, COVID. What, what I call emergency rates. You know, they were 0.1%. It was yes. it was basically free money, um, and they did that to to keep the music playing and and you know give every household some relief uh, during tough times and uncertain times. Um, and it led to a, you know, obviously a global inflationary problem. Um, people had too much money at home, and uh, the speed of money was was very rapid, and people were spending like no tomorrow, which you know led to where we are today. Um, it's been an interesting time. Um, last year, we saw the property market. Certain markets definitely affected more than others, but we saw the property market as a whole probably coming off about twenty percent. Um, 
ironically now you know there's there's some boom markets there's still still some slow markets um the the top end is actually very strong um because the top end didn't really have that same sort of uh uh, growth you could say in years prior so it it rallied you know in, in recent times through that um, COVID boom you could say but it hasn't rallied for like 10 years um we the apartment market also you know there's some um, markets that they're struggling some markets that they're moving because you know there was a credit crunch leading into the royal commission um then during COVID when people were working from home there wasn't actually a big demand for apartments and apartments didn't um, sort of run as, as aggressively and increase in, yeah. in value as yeah. aggressively as houses because people wanted a home. Um, so mm. there's still opportunities out there for, you know, good buying, but at the same time, there's still demand in certain markets because of low supply. Um, there's still not a huge amount of stock on the market and that's because the average household still has a lot of cash in their bank account. They still can... Um, whether the storm is such, they can still um, pay these higher repayments. Mortgage arrears rates, default rates are still record lows leading into de- December. Um, but there is some tough times ahead. You know, we've got $370 billion worth of fixed rate loans coming to maturity this year. Um, and these fixed rates are coming off, uh, are these clients, I should say, are coming They're calling off, it the cliff. The mortgage cliff, exactly right. They're coming off COVID rates of two percent, and they're going to be paying about five and a half, six percent. There's a there's a wave coming off at the end of the financial year in, in June, and then another wave coming off in uh, uh, December. I think that just correlates directly to the April selling season and the spring selling season three years ago, four years ago. Yes, yeah. Um, so yeah, that will be interesting because we're seeing a discount in prices off lower volumes of stock. So to put numbers on it, last year across the Sydney market, there was 30% less volume of sales and less listings on the market for spring compared to the spring prior. And that spring prior was also down on the five-year average. So very low volumes of, of, of stock, very low volumes of sales in the property market, yet we're still seeing a, a decrease in, in prices. Um, if there's a huge increase in, in stock, then we, we could see further decreases in prices, that's for sure. However, there's also a huge you know um, pool of buyers waiting on the sidelines. There's pent-up demand. There's clearly a housing shortage that's all over the news at the moment. So I think they, they will be met with buyers. It's just about expectations need to be managed at what price are these buyers willing to pay? What will the bank even lend these buyers to buy these homes? And and where will that that um, sort of where, where will those prices land? Well, let's. Um, we're almost out of time there. Let's. Uh, so you've been in business for ten years. I'm wondering if you can get your crystal ball out and and forecast where you'll be in another ten years. What what does what does that look like? You might you might be uh, you might be retired and living on an island somewhere. I'm not I'm not sure. No. Where, what is the What does the next ten years look like for for you and and for sure? I definitely won't be retired. I've got the um the the Greek mentality that I, I love work. I want to I want to work until <laughs> till the day I die almost because I feel like it makes me sane. It gives me purpose and fulfillment. Okay, um, that's good. But um, the next ten, I feel like it's going to be even more exciting than the last ten. You know, um, the next ten is the the technological journey. Like I mentioned earlier, we we really want to embrace those changes. We want to actually become more of a lender ourselves. So we've had some um, of our own white label products in the past. 
Um, but I, I, we want to further develop them and actually develop um, a, a fully a pledged series of various lending products that are our own branded lending products um, that do have a competitive edge and niche in the market. Um, we we want to expand our online presence, like I said, to really have just great informative forums for people to come on and learn how to create wealth and in property and how to um, transact in the property market in the most uh, efficient and effective way. Um, we want to. Uh, we won't be leaving North Sydney. That's for sure. I love North Sydney as our uh, HQ. You could say. Um, okay. Yes. Uh, but we from this uh, HQ. We can now, thanks to these technolo- technological changes, uh, service the, the whole of Australia. You don't need to now set up offices in every state and try and um, have presence physically in every state because of everything being online. We can just grow one office to service Australia-wide, um, which is a, a great new focus of ours because we did have offices in other states previously. We had an o- office in Melbourne um, and a satellite office in Queensland. Um, we think it's better for the culture for everybody to be in one place, one team, one dream, learning from each other and, and, and sort of working together on a daily basis is, is key. Um, but yeah, I think the next 10, like I said, it's going to be an interesting journey, but the best part's yet to come. Well, we will track your progress with a lot of interest, Theo. Um, we wish you all the very best. Theo Chambers, CEO and co-founder of Shaw Financial, thank you for coming onto the show and congratulations on building a tremendous business. Thank you and well done. Thank you very much for having me, Justin. Justin.